to yet another episode of The Type Beam, our 49th episode of The Type Beam. We're so, so close. And it's also our first episode of 2021. We made it. We survived. We made it. We did, in fact, survive. We did. We made it through. And I, I do have something to say about that that I forgot to put in the notes. I'll make it brief. We'll wait until we get through this stuff. But it's about Ty. That something he did, um, tweeted about that got people to talk about their 2020s. So we'll we'll get to that. How about first we get to our hosts? Uh, as always, I am joined by my co-hosts Andrea and Fred. Hello, Andrea. How are you? I am doing good. Today was my first day back at school, so um, it was nice to see all the kids. Um, mm-hmm. They're having a really hard time knowing what to call me now, which is hilarious. I mean, me too. So, (laughs) so yeah, it's it's hilarious. Missy, I mean, Miss Doc, what do we call you? (laughs) Whatever you want. That's what I told them. I was like, you can continue calling me Miss C. Like, it's not going to be, you're you're not going to fail my class. And then actually, actually, (laughs) I said that. And then one of my students after class, he was like, Goodbye, Missy. I mean, I mean, and then I turned around and I was like, you just failed my marketing class. <laughs> so I guess I broke a promise right there. <laughs> so, yeah, it's been good. And Fred, how are you? Well, it's a new year. I'm back to work. Uh, what else is new? Oh, it was my mom's birthday yesterday. Uh, Happy Andrew's birthday to Fred's mom. Yeah. She's one year older. I don't know what age she is. We don't ask after a certain time. <laughs> Don't, don't ask. It's okay. She's just older than me. And I keep trying to catch up, I think I tell her. Oh, oh my goodness. (laughs) Have you considered how time works? It's a construct, actually. I take that back. Time is a construct, and it doesn't work at all. I think 2020 has proven that the year like time is not it's not real we could have a whole side conversation on that one day but i think time actually moves faster the older you get it's interesting because one of my students asked me why that was in my international class he was like missy why does um time move uh quickly now it's like oh well as you get older it just moves faster he's like i don't mm-hmm. understand and it's like it's okay just learn english first <laughs> Well, he needs to learn the theory of relativity first, and then he would understand why time moves faster the older you get. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> All right, fine. I mean, it does feel that way. It does feel that way. But in a That's nutshell, not, that is true. if you are one year old, that first year of your life took a, a year to get there. So it was your entire lifespan at the time, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're 40 years old and you go to 41, that year is only one forty-one-th of your year of your age of your lifespan mm-hmm. not your entire lifespan so it your entire sorry a year is shrinking based on your total uh, time spent on the planet mm-hmm. or spent alive so it, it's relatively <laughs> smaller even though the duration yeah. is the same yeah how do we get to this topic? and that's why old people don't sleep <laughs> TLDR. That's why old people don't sleep. <laughs> Blinking, you'll miss it. That was a, an interesting way to end that one. Um, yeah. So uh, here we are in 2021, and so we're also going to have our first listener shout out of 2021. 
Um, this is kind of like a twofer. It's about the same thing, but it's like two separate people. So our first shout out goes to Zach Cody on Twitter, uh, who heard about our lovely show from our second listener shout out. Uh, and he said that we were the type of podcast he was looking for and he can't wait to go. Th- can't wait to go through our backlog. Whoop, so whoop. Right on. it's very exciting. Well, hopefully his, uh, Hopefully your opinion doesn't change when you go through our backlog and you get to the really weird stuff. But (laughs) we're glad you're here, Zach. And Zach wouldn't be here without the help of MJ Draper Blake on Twitter, who uh, recommended us a couple of different times on Twitter uh, and said that uh, the people who run the tight beam are awesome. I have an inside track. I know she changed her Twitter handle for MJ because that's our dog's name. It's got to oh, be. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. So yeah. shout out. <laughs> you, you got it. Yeah. Huge, huge fan of uh, of MJ the dog for sure. I mean, we all are. I'm a huge fan of Kira the dog. Um, But that's just because she's a newer a model. Weird. She's a newer model and she's a little weird. And I appreciate that. She's more compact. yeah and you guys she lets you make her dance which huge plus you know she's very chill um the the thing i kind of referenced a minute ago was uh ty frank of james s.a Corey, one half of james s.a Corey, um has a bunch of like the expanse art books the art of the expanse and he was going to give away signed copies and the way he wanted to do that was he asked people for stories of like good things that happened in 2021 or, or just things that happened in 2021. Um, and so, uh, or 2020, I'm sorry. And so people told their stories and he got this really lovely long thread of stories uh, of different things that people accomplished children. One was a child named Holden James. Yeah, I, I saw that. that. <laughs> which, which upsets me because that was my idea for a name for if we ever played the Expanse role-playing game, it was going to be Holden James, a man who hated coffee and loved tea. <laughs> um, and so I'm a little upset that that baby stole my idea. But yeah, things like that, like people passing school and helping people, volunteering. And it's just kind of like, it's kind of amazing, uh, the stories that came through there. So it was really nice to kind of have that. Um, I have a copy, so I, I, and I couldn't think of anything good that I did during 2020 uh, that, that had any kind of an impact. So I decided to abstain and I instead like retweeted it so more people could see it. I know Andrea participated. Yes. And Freddie yeah, did you want too. To talk? I participated as oh. well. Oh, yep. yeah. I think that was my sixth tweet ever. <laughs> Not including retweets. Well, I was going to say that. Like, I was going to say your Twitter is a little sparse. My yeah. social media, my social media coordinator only does her own. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. So, um, I talked about how, um, just this whole entire academic school year up and focusing on, the mental health of international students because they are so far away from home and they've spent more than a year already without their parents and without their family. And these are teenagers. Um, So they're not just going through school by themselves. They're also going through hormonal things by themselves and then just 
everything is changing for them um, in these weird times. So I've just tried to incorporate a lot of Canadian things into just their daily activities so that we can take pictures, send them to their parents so their parents know that they are safe with us. Yeah, so that was my, my yeah. good 2020 and still going 2021 kind of thing. Yeah. So it's just really nice. Uh, and, you know, I can reshare uh, that tweet if anyone's interested in seeing some of the nice stories that came out 2020. Um, so, yeah. And Fred said that the best thing that he did was marrying me, which was really sweet. Well, uh, I mean, <laughs> he's being realistic. <laughs> well, uh, there was a little bit more to, the, to it than that. Uh, we also included the fact that without the expense, we probably would have never met. So, because of the expense, I was able to find, meet, and marry my best friend. So, yeah. there you go. <laughs> there you go. So, let's jump into this episode, unless we have something else to discuss. We've, what, how long has this been? 30 minutes, and we still haven't gotten to the... <laughs> I, I, I don't think we've been recording for 30 minutes. It's been 10 minutes. Oh, it's been sorry. I'm looking wow. at the Skype call. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, we've been talking for 30 minutes, but I don't think we've been recording for 30 minutes. <laughs> so, Fred, what is this episode all about and what is it called? So, this is episode six. This is tribes. So, a, a tribe would be defined as a social division and a traditional society consisting of families or communities linked by social, economic, religious, or blood ties with a common culture and dialect typically having a recognized leader. So if we look at this and we compare it to the episode, um, one of the things that Amos even said was, people are tribal. Uh, the more things, sorry, the more set up things are, the bigger the tribe can be. Uh, the churn comes and tribes get small again. Right now, you and I are, are a tribe of two, obviously referring to peaches. And if we zoom out a little bit and we look at the larger scale, um, the Belters are a larger tribe, the Martians themselves are a larger tribe, and the Earthers are a larger tribe. If we zoom back in just a little bit, uh, smaller scale, the Free Navy is also possibly a tribe, Drummer's Faction, the Rocinante, uh, the Belter Factions, uh, and then going into the whole aspect of them in this episode, the trading of tributes, um, making their tribes bigger through the exchange of people. Um, and then the examples of eschewing tribes also given during the episode, the Rosinante being a target as a symbol of unity and Naomi telling Philip how everyone worked together to save the system in the ring space. Whereas they were trying to separate everybody, which is interesting. Do you guys get a sense of a lot of, like, tribe aspects in this episode? In this episode, absolutely. Like, or in the Expanse in general, too. Like, there's lots of it. Like, the Rosinante crew, um, people that are bound by... Um, the events that are happening around them, like uh, Monica and um, Holden, and um, I'm drawing on his name. Bull? Bull, yes. Yeah. So they're forming a tribe um, as a the temporary crew of the Rosinante. Hmm. Yeah, I, uh, 
I I took a lot of thought about, you know, Marco consolidating all of these smaller tribes trying to make like a a big one here. Um and like taking people from those smaller tribes to build that bigger tribe like by creating loyalty and like everyone looking to like one tribe. Um and then I also thought about <laughs> I thought about how mad Marco was <laughs> that they destroyed a symbol of unity. Um wow, that's really interesting. Uh how like he's trying to to take something that you know, I never really thought of as like revolutionary because they were like the main characters or whatever and turning them into like this big symbol of like unity. I didn't really think about how that was seen in the show. But the fact that, like, you know, the tribes seem to be, while they're still, like, kind of apart, parts of them are coming together for a common goal and have throughout the events of the show. And Marco sees this one thing and he's like, ah, yes, must destroy. Yeah. Must destroy unity. Like, it was just, uh, I thought that was, like, a really interesting part of that. But it, it definitely, like, it's a different view of tribalism than we've seen from The Expanse. Because we're seeing it on a smaller scale for once kind of play out um, instead of like, excuse me, sorry, instead of just Earth, Mars and the belt, we're seeing like different tribes of the belt yep. coming together, which I think is, is an interesting thing that we haven't we saw a little bit of in season four. But we haven't really seen uh, from the show. So and I really like that. Yeah. Sorry, before you continue, um, I, I really do like the fact that you can differentiate in the expanse, the differences between every tribe within those three particular groups. Um, you know what, for example, drummer fights for, you know what um, Marco and Philip fight for. Um, you also know what the, um, what's the name of, the drummer's group. The DeWalt crew? Her yeah, family. they don't really have a name. The They're poly, just the poly lovers. Poly and Belter fans. <laughs> there you yes. go. Um, so they are also their own individual tribe without drummer. I think that she she's almost like a she she's a floater. She goes where her heart desires and where she needs to be at particular points. So I think that despite her being with people that she loves, she's still trying to find her tribe. Something really interesting that um, Shannon said earlier, um, referring to the different tribes being really big, and then what Marco is doing and causing all this chaos is de-evolving the tribes. They're making the, the tribes smaller. And so there's a breakdown and they're easier to control. And that, that's one of the ways that he's um, imposing his power. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Mm. Yeah. All right. Is there anything so, else with tribes? No, but I think that little tribe of two is kind of cute. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Just a little, little palin through the Chesapeake Conservancy Zone. Anyway, um, so this episode was uh, written by Matthew Rasmussen 
and directed by Jeff Woolnow. And I have something to say about this. I don't. I think I sent it to you guys. Oh, just. Me, I was I watching. I was watching the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, and I think it was the first or second episode. And I happened to look up as the director credit comes on, and it's Jeff Woolnow. And I was like, Oh my God, it's him. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I sent I, I sent that to Andrea, and I was like. I know that name. So anyway, uh, in brief, let's talk about what this episode's about. Uh, Avasarala awaits word of her family as she meets the acting secretary general and is appointed to his cabinet. Amos and Clarissa trek through the wilderness of the Chesapeake, fighting for survival in a lawless winter. Holden prepares to hunt to hunt the Zamea with Bull and Monica on board. The screaming firehawk sets a trap. Marco, fresh from failure, looks to add to his numbers as drummer's crew faces an offer they can't refuse. Naomi tries again to break through to Philip. So lots of, lots of stuff going on. Um, I also saw some more title sequences and I have something to say. Okay, I watched the part that I had a concern about before where the Pennsylvania rock fell. <laughs> And it definitely hits in Virginia. It definitely does, because you can see New Jersey just a little bit further up. And I don't blame anyone in particular, especially if the water levels have, have if the sea levels have risen, like the peninsula of Maryland slash Virginia slash Delaware and New Jersey can look kind of similar to people if you don't know what they are, especially if the sea levels have risen. But I was looking, I was like, that's definitely... That's definitely the Chesapeake Bay area, and that is not where the rock fell. So I just thought that was funny. Anyway, <laughs> aside from that, aside from that, um, so you see the different rocks falling throughout the opening titles because I wanted to. I always want to talk about the new opening titles. When you see the two cities, the dude that was standing on the beach looking at the two cities. First of all, two cities are on fire. The man is gone, and so is the beach he was standing on. It's all water. So sad. It's really sad. Um, and then you have uh, Tycho's on fire or something. There, there's stuff that looks like fire. Space can't really be on fire. There's no oxygen in space. But it looks like Tycho's on fire. And uh, you actually see, like, the Free Navy. I saw, like, it was very quick and you miss it. But you know how they tag all the ships in the opening? Mm -hmm. They tagged yeah. the Pella. And you see it, like, very quick. Um, so now I was... When I watched the rest of the opening, I was looking at all the tiny ships guarding the ring gate. And I was like, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? And it's very important that we look at ships because we come back to that in this episode. It's very important you look at your ships, fam jam. Uh, and that's that's pretty much all I got on the uh, uh, here at the segment where we talk about the, the title sequence. Oh, my goodness. I, I try my best. I go on some rants, but I always get there in the end. No, I love it. I love it. <laughs> All right. So let's get to this episode. So the first place where you're going to go to is Luna. So Vasarala surveys the destruction in New York City from her office. She tries again to contact Arjun, but is interrupted by David Pastor, the former Minister of Transportation, now acting Secretary General. He tells her what he saw and asks um, after her family. He confides in her that he never meant to be a politician and invites her to join his in interim cabinet. 
Avasarala accepts, taking a moment to put herself together before following him. Um, I really, really just love this small entire, uh, small entire sequence, um, small sequence, because you can see her pain. And I think that Shorey does a really good job and, and just showing the heartache without really saying much. Um, and it's really interesting that she has her necklace next to her. And when she's trying to put herself together, she puts it back on and she needs to become like the stronger um, person. She can't be weak anymore. And she she needs to put put Arjun aside so that she's able to help the rest of Earth. And I think that it's a beautiful moment for her because she has lost a lot and she still needs to remain strong. Um, she has no time to to mourn and 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 it's sad in one of the early books uh, i forget which one it was but um Abisarella's character refers to that as putting on her mask her politician face mm-hmm. so it's very similar um in, in that same aspect as well she when she puts all of her um jewelry on and she's in that role um she is a different person and it's so sad I just she wants to send a message again and she gets interrupted and everything else takes priority over her loved ones which is heartbreaking yeah I I really liked just that visual of her um kind of like putting on her armor of the necklace like I just thought that was really 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 nice um because like she's all like not put together and everyone's like oh oh we're we're so sorry and she's like no i'm wor- i'm working it's like no you're not but you're trying yeah and we see you um i also just i i put in my notes i really liked david coming in and stripping like look i hate politics um <laughs> never wanted to do politics i just thought i could be better at that job than that guy and so here i am um and i just thought i love that kind of honesty because that's really how a lot of people like get into politics you know and yeah. like they just think they can do better than than the other guy so i you know i, I just thought that was really really nice little moment there um, it's like, again, it's another one of those short scenes that just packs a lot of punch, I feel like. Like, there's a lot going on in, like, such a really short scene. Yeah, I, I do agree with that. He's yeah. coming in with, abs- he's admitting to it, absolutely mm. zero experience. And he needs somebody with absolute stability who knows how to run and do this job, run the government and recover. And he's going to the exact right person that he needs um, to actually get out of this in one piece. Hmm. I don't know, but inexperience can sometimes lead to wrongness. So that's that's honestly, and I'm speaking, yeah. and I'm speaking from my country. Um, inexperience has brought my country down. So I mean, this is a scary. That's although it's refreshing, it's also very scary because you're there's a lot on his shoulders right now. Hmm. But that's why he invites Avasarala, because he knows she knows what she's doing. She's been the secretary general before. 
So, and, and, you know, she helped save Earth before. So, like, who better to have on your cabinet than that lady? I mean, yeah, she just lost the election horribly. But, hey, she has experience. So, Well, she got through the last big catastrophe. Yeah. She has all the connections. She has friends. I don't know if you want to call them friends, but at least political friends. Uh, So Mm -hmm. she knows going to somebody with that much experience is the right move. And I applaud him for it, um, especially with the lack of experience that he does have. Yeah. All right. So... Again, this was a very short scene at Luna, but I think that it's setting up maybe the difficulties that will arise because of inexperience and because of experience. Um, mm. We saw that clash with Nancy uh, Gao mm. and Devasarala, so we might see something like that, or we might actually see them work together for the common good of Earth. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I think uh, it's also important that this could lead into like we've seen kind of how um, the bell is afraid of how Earth is going to respond. And so I think giving us this guy, this minister of transportation kind of sets us up for whatever kind of response these the bell is finally going to receive from earth once it kind of gets itself together yeah yeah he's in a tough place yep yeah all right so now let's get to Tycho, where holden and his coffee are waiting well, I think he's a little too busy to drink coffee right now. <laughs> There's never too busy to drink coffee. <laughs> so Holden and his borrowed crew check the Rossi system after Naomi's warning. Monica arrives, insisting that she come along, given it was her information that gave them the Zemea. She convinces them, and the Rossi leaves Tycho. As Holden gives Monica ship access, he finds a new message from Naomi with the subject line, if something goes wrong. And that is where it ends. So there was a button and he didn't click it? I know. Well, we don't know. <laughs> That's the thing. We ah! don't know if he clicked that button. Isn't that good? Like, we got one holded scene in this episode and it ended like that and they're not going to give you closure for the rest of the episode. You Jerk. have to live with that. <laughs> the tease. Yeah. There's a, I, I really like this scene a lot, though. I really loved uh, Monica when she realizes Bull is literally going to drag her off. She starts to appeal kind of to Holden. Mm-hmm. And you see Holden like looks skeptical, but he kind of comes around. But the part that gets me and also gets Holden, I thought it was really cute that he was very proud of her. You could see like he's very proud of her for saying this was like when Bull was like taunting her. was like, have you ever like been through a high G maneuver? And she's like, mm hmm on this ship when we were the first people to get through the ring gate alive. Yeah. And like, hold is just like, yeah, that's her. That's Monica. There she is. Um, I just, I just really liked all the interactions there. And I really like, there's this one shot of Holden where, and I put this in my notes, uh, but there's a shot where when the belter, the Tycho man is looking at like the ship and making sure it's working correctly. Um, Holden kind of looks between him and the other woman and just seems a little bit unsettled. Like, 
he's still wishing his crew was there. Yeah. Especially after like what just happened. Um, and I just like like it was just a really subtle, quick thing where you could see like Holden is visibly uncomfortable now that somebody has like messed with his ship mm-hmm. and his own crew is not there. Like he is so unsettled and unmoored. Not literally yet. He he is like later in that scene when they detach the ship. Um, something that doesn't help when he sees this message from Naomi who he had just been begging to call him, and now he gets a message saying, if something goes wrong, I'm sure Holden is going to take this quite rationally, and he's going to manage to keep himself mentally straight and emotionally straight uh, until he gets back to Naomi. I am fairly certain there will be no issues coming from uh, this. The only thing straight about that is his actor's last name. (laughs) True. I was just thinking about that. True. Yeah, yeah. No, he, he's clicking that message. Things have already gone wrong. Yeah. So, yeah, Holden's got got to be second-guessing everything about his ship at this this point. Mm-hmm. So he's had nothing but trust and faith in the Rosinante, and now he doesn't have his crew. There's been bad code. He almost died. He almost killed all of Tycho, or at least a big chunk of it. Yeah, and, and now he has trust to trust anybody can't trust it can't trust the people around you like can he really trust the people that are on the ship with him we'll see yeah, can he can he like i mean I, the guy didn't find anything wrong so like what if there was something wrong and he said there wasn't and because like sakai did not care if she died with taiko yeah she did not care so yeah he, he, you know He's not having a great time right now. They should have put her on the Rosie. <laughs> if it's going to blow. <laughs> well, she goes too. Yeah. All right. So again, Tycho, not too much. I think, again, it's setting it up for what's to come. Um, I think that Holden has a one-track mind right now, and that's to make sure that Naomi is alive. Um, so now let's get to that screaming firehawk. So the Belter ship from the previous episode approaches a dark and disabled screaming firehawk. The airlock opens, revealing Bobby in her armor, who shoots the would-be boarders. Amazing scene. Um, she holds onto the docking bridge as Alex plants a grenade on the Belter ship. They make it safely back inside and burn away as the grenade detonates in the drive plume, destroying the ship. They celebrate. A lot of action. I really enjoyed it. I really like seeing Bobby with her power armor just trying to hold the bridge and the ship together. I thought that was a pretty nice scene. She's yeah. badass. I, I, yeah. I love everything about her character. It's so great. And and just when the, the ship like takes off, not takes off, but when it starts burning... And she's like standing there holding onto the railings instead of like being flat on the ground like Alex. It was just really great. Yeah, he face popped. Mm hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that was funny. I actually laughed out loud. It was, it, was it looks so funny. Um, but yeah, I actually, I was actually very surprised to see Bobby, um, shoot, um, the guy. I wasn't expecting it when they were trying to get into the, um, uh, screaming Firehawk, so that was a really nice scene to see um, a little bit of action from them. Yeah, it's shoot or be, shoot, be shot. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
again, a small little scene, but it was a fun one. It's nice that they're trying to tackle all these different groups in, in one episode. Um, let's see where that leads them. Yeah. All right. Well, let's head over to Earth. Uh, we have Amos and Clarissa come to a relief camp. Uh, knowing there there are police there that would kill Car- 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 ah, Clarissa. 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 Let's call her different names, like Amos would call <laughs> like his his frenemies. Okay, let me let me start over. Amos and Peaches come to her really. <laughs> <laughs> knowing there are police there who would kill Peaches or take her away, they decide to travel on foot to Baltimore uh, through the Chesapeake uh, Com- Conservancy Zone. Uh, Peaches struggles and Amos takes a step to keep her alive, uh, taking the supplies off a dead body they find and taking a moment at a stranger's campfire. The stranger tells them of a doomsday survivalist nearby who shoots trespassers. Amos takes uh, Peaches there, hoping to get her the supplies she needs. Uh, When the man threatens Amos's life, Peaches finally activates her mods and overwhelms him in like a bloodbath. Uh, before shooting him to death instead. After she recovers from the aftermath, Amos tells her it was worth killing the man for his stuff so they could survive. Uh, When she questions the morality of his thinking, Amos realizes she's right and he has to get back to his crew. Yeah, that last bit was a lot when he's just like, Holden would never let me do that. Yeah. <laughs> so I got to get back to the crew. <laughs> this, I really liked this whole uh, arc. Um, I really, I think one of my favorite bits, other than the, you're right, Holden would never let me do that uh, line, was when they were walking through the woods and it was dark. And Clarissa starts talking about the moon. I'm going to get her quote because I actually really liked her quote. I'm, I can't believe I forgot to like open to it. Let's well, see. as you lead up to that, I, I really like the fact that the rocks have fallen and it has put a lot of um, ash and smoke and debris yeah. into the air. And w- when we saw Amos first come to Baltimore, there's no snow, right? So now mm-hmm. there's this cloud cover. There's this ash layer. It's like nuclear winter or nuclear summer, whatever you want to call it. Um, and you can't get any sunlight, and now we actually see snow. And it's it's gotten a lot colder, and it's supposed to be um, closer to summer. Hmm. Because of that dust and ash in the air, it, Clarissa thinks it's nighttime, and I think the viewers are meant to think it's nighttime. And so she thinks that she's looking at the moon, and she says to Amos, uh, for almost all of human history, it was impossible to go there, a symbol of something you could only do in your dreams. And then for a while, it was hard, but possible. Then it was trivial. And now here we are, and it's impossible again. And I thought that was a really lovely line undercut by Amos going, well, I think that's the sun, but I get your point. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Like, I just thought that was, there's a lot of really great bits where Clarissa will talk about something and Amos will just be like, yeah, yeah. And then like either say something like very Amos-like or just like move on. And so like, I just really, really appreciate that moment. There, It was a similar moment in that last scene when like, she's like, wait, so you killed this guy for his stuff? He's like, yeah, you know, we need to survive. And she's like, Good people don't do that. It's like, oh. Yeah. But he wasn't good people. He was already shooting people beyond his fence. 
Right. Yeah. So, so that's the other thing too. Yeah. It was a bad guy. And that's the thing. So there's this really interesting thing I noticed on rewatch. So the guy was telling Amos that his son was in the window yeah. and Amos kept looking at the gun. If you look at the gun, the whole end of it's coated in ice. Yep. So like Amos totally knew it wasn't true because he kept looking at the gun going like, huh, I think there's ice on that gun. So the biggest issue that I had with this whole scene, and it, yeah, it's kind of minor, but Amos went in without a real plan. He only survived, I think, because Peaches, Clarissa, came in and saved him. So what was Amos's plan? To come in, rush him while he's getting shot? Yeah, that's actually, yeah, I, I do see your point. Amos is smarter than that. He always goes in with a plan. Yeah. And he didn't have one mm. for for sure. But um I think I think the interesting thing is that perhaps he he knew that the guy was defenseless, so maybe he had a chance or he had I don't know, an inkling feeling that maybe he would be okay. I don't know. I actually, that's actually an interesting thing. And it's not even a minor thing. That's actually something that should have been calculated by Amos. Everybody mm-hmm. just wanted to see him without a shirt. Let's just. <laughs> well, there's that. And most mm-hmm. people would be okay with that. But I, I think the only thing that he could have done differently that would have made the scene a little bit smarter or would have played out better. It was not give up where the water recycler was. Yeah. Mm. Because that's his only bargaining chip to stay alive. Yeah. Yeah, as I said, we got a little show before the pie contest, as my friend put it. (laughs) I, uh, my, my friend, uh, I have a, I have a, like, expanse discord that I hang out in. And uh, my friend shared the picture and she goes, man, that shirtless pie eating contest from Nemesis Games sure was my favorite scene. And everyone who hadn't read the book was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, guys, I think she's pulling our leg. (laughs) I don't think she's telling the truth. I think she's doing a fool. But yeah, like I just it's nice that we got a show. Now, here's my question before we talk any more about the storyline, since we're on this topic. How do we feel about the showing of Clarissa's, like, thank you, Kira, uh, <laughs> Clarissa's, like, not powers, but you know what I mean? Like, how, how she is when she's on her mods. Honestly. How did we feel about that? I felt like I was watching Twilight. I thought Fred would have feelings about this because he always has, like, a CGI thing to say. And then I saw that and I was like, Ew. No, I thought that it it felt like I was watching Edward Cullen or the Cullens themselves as vampires just, like, destroying something. Um, It was pretty, pretty not pretty. To be honest, (laughs) I actually had a fear that they were going to do something, like, uh, from X-Men, showing, like, a beast jump or something like that. (laughs) Yeah. So the way that they did it, I don't think it was too bad. It's probably not the way I would have done it, but, hey, Mm -hmm. I'm... I don't, I don't do this. So who knows? I, I don't know. Um, I really didn't have a huge issue with it. I just wish that she would have been okay a bit longer before she collapsed. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was pretty fast. Yeah, I don't remember how long her cooldown time is. I genuinely don't from season three. 
Um, so I have no idea if this is like normal, but I the first time I saw it, I thought it was a little goofy. Mm-hmm. Um, on rewatch, I kind of get it. Like the thing is, though, I'm sorry to do this. I hate doing this. I went to film school. So, like, I have had to, like, direct things before. Never had to direct, like, a fight scene. But I, too, can think of a couple ways I would have done it. I I can also guess why they did it the way they did it. Um, I wish I had seen, like, actual, like, fighting. But, um, it's... It's fine. I I did like get that initial like this is goofy and I felt less like weird about it the second time. But yeah, I I understood that her powers that when when she hits her mods makes her go faster. It's like uh, ultra adrenaline rush so she can run faster, be stronger for a very short period. Um, This scene made it look like she was faster than sound or faster than light. Hmm. So I thought that was a little extreme. I just yeah. didn't like the interpretation of it. I think that there could have been a nicer way to display her her abilities without making it seem like in your face. It almost felt like you were the bad guy getting oh gosh your butt kicked. She didn't like getting her butt kicked no, by no. Clarissa. I did not. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we'll we'll stay on that vein, but without talking about like the visuals of it. Um, I did like that we kind of had Clarissa talk about what she did a couple of times in this episode. Um, namely, like when she's talking about the mods with Amos, and and you know he was like, "Wow, that sounds really bad." And she said, "Well, I wasn't really thinking about the consequences. I was just thinking about like revenge and and stuff and." Like, I know a lot of people who are pretty critical of Clarissa because of her motivations in what she did, why she did it. Um, And I the thing is, for her, I feel like it's meant to be a cautionary tale about, like, how little rich people value, like, common lives. I mean, look at what her dad did. First of all, her dad literally helped kill an entire station of belters um and how she was kind of detached from what she was about to do like killing all these people until she killed one person that she actually cared about which snapped her kind of into like oh hmm yeah um and then when she you know out out damn spot for the rest of the story arc um and so i really a lot of people kind of struggle with the fact that she did those things that she is like that and she never really talks about it in a way that they find satisfying. I really liked where she was talking about, you know, how her poem, which is um, I am a, I have killed, but I am not a killer. A killer is a monster and a monster is not afraid, um, which, first of all, is really important, I think, because there are plenty of people who have killed before in self-defense uh, who are not killers they are not people who wanted to do what they did. They did someone to protect themselves yeah. um, or things like that, or like killing a partner who was abusing them or something like that. Like they're not monsters. There's somebody who has killed, but that doesn't make them a monster. And I also think there's that really interesting tidbit of her, like being afraid of what she did and, you know, knowing that it was terrible and trying to just, you know, work through it herself and, 
come to a place where she is even okay with what she did, which is hard to do. But what I really appreciate is her trying us seeing us, us seeing her work through it. Cause we have another character who had something similar happen in their life where they were unintentionally had a hand in killing hundreds of people. And we didn't get to see her work through that, but we know that she still feels guilty about it to this day. So having like a similar thing where we actually get to see her trying to work through it is a really interesting foil in Clarissa. Yeah, I, I do agree with that. And I think that that's the reason why uh, Clarissa and Amos get along so well, because they understand those internal struggles. And even though they're not at the point where they can accept who they are or what they've done to to the extent that they want to, they're able to confide in each other and find support because they've been through similar experiences and i love that mm-hmm. two peas in a pod yes yeah two peaches in a can <laughs> oh dear <laughs> okay i'm done <laughs> J- just one last thing before we move to the next uh, section it just seems like um her ability or these mods seem to be getting worse every time she does use them mm-hmm. so it seems like the reaction that she gets or the after effects um seem to be getting worse as time progresses for each time that she does use it, or maybe the mm. older that she gets. Oh, peaches. So they, uh, they probably will eventually kill her. But uh, as you mentioned earlier, she, she didn't expect to have survived this long. Yeah, it makes me sad because you see her weakness as she continues to use them and the pain that it causes her. Hmm. So now we're going to talk about Drummer's Faction, and I left this section intentionally short simply because it ties into our next section. So it's very, very messy, just like these relationships. Um, So Oksana and Joseph worry about Drummer as they approach the meeting spot with Marco. The crew believes they've walked into a trap when MCR and battleships arrive instead. But when it's revealed that the Free Navy has Martian warships, they realize that Marco's offer may not be one that we can aff- uh, we can refuse. They can? Whatever. You know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I can't read all of a sudden. I think I was like, for a second, I was like in the mind space of like Drummer's family. Board. Just like, ah, oh, this is an offer we can, this is an offer we cannot refuse. <laughs> you know? um, so yeah, but you, y'all know what I mean. You got me. Yeah, we got you. So yeah, this is a uh, this storyline ties into the Pella. So I was trying to keep the the drummer faction specific stuff in this section as much as possible, and then I put the rest of it in the Pella storyline, like we did with uh, when Naomi warned Holden about uh, Rossi. I I feel very bad for drummer because you're starting to see a lot of her crew worry about her and kind of talking behind her back um because they don't know how she's going to be so i think that there's some form of trust being eroded because of how connected drummer is to hold uh sorry naomi and the crew and also um ashford and also fred Um, So I think that they know that she can't truly be just with the Belters because she has her 
her heart in so many other places. One of the other things that I was thinking about um, with this scene is, is not just that you have the erosion of the leadership from Drummer. Obviously, she's struggling because of um, Naomi's being captured and her, her plight or whatever, but um, also they are coming to the realization all of them are coming to realization that this is an impossible position to be in. We mm-hmm. have to accept his offer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they even say it in the episode, if we don't, like, they're all going to be killed. Yeah. Yeah, I really liked um, Bertold's speech about, like, how, you know, they have... Hold on, let me let me pull it up. I really, I just really liked his speech at the end, how like everyone's fighting about how they feel, and Bertold's kind of like being quiet the whole time, just kind of listening, and we're we're basically hearing Serge and Michio just like fighting all about it, and like Bertold just has this really nice little speech. I'm sorry, I took so many notes this time. I took 13 pages of notes. Holy moly. So I'm like trying, I keep like, here we go. Um, He's going to unite 100 separate factions into one nation. And the only choice left for us is to join him or die. And like, he's realized that it is in fact an impossible choice because if they don't side with Marco, they lose the ability to have extra ships. They lose, you know, his trust that they won't turn on him and he could even destroy them and pretend it wasn't him mm-hmm. um, because he has like all these Martian warships now. Um, and it just it's very clear that. To go against him is to go against the belt. And there's Micho has a really interesting line, too, where she says, well, that's not my war. It's not what I wanted. And it's bringing in like those perspectives of like who actually like speaks for the belt and whether one person can actually do that. And that's why I I also, you know, there's a a conversation that's had on the Pella that kind of leans into that as well. Like, you know, Marco dragged an entire nation into a war um whether one saw it that way or not that's how it is becoming because there are plenty of belters who while they may not have been fine with the situation all-out war was not something that they ever would have agreed to or agreed with Mm -hmm. and not even all-out war but just killing millions of innocent people um because that that doesn't it sends a message, but it doesn't necessarily send the right message in some people's minds. So obviously there are going to be belters who don't agree with this, but now they're going to face the violence that Marco's people are going to face. It's going to be indiscriminate, like I've said before. So it kind of puts them in a position where they they have to accept, and Marco knows that. Yeah, they really have no choice. And we've heard it from uh, Marco be- before that you're either with us or against us. And, and that's a very dangerous um, line to be in because you, you really have no choice. Yeah. There was also like that when they see the um, the ships coming and they think it's a trap, 
Serge says something like really interesting where he's like, well, how'd they get Martian warships? Oh, yeah, MCR warships. How could Marco have these? And and Bertolt's just like, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. Like everyone's just kind of really suspicious now because how are Belters supposed to trust Marco if he's rolling up in Martian warships too? It just adds a ton of questions that like, it makes me wonder like, yeah, Marco might have thought a ton of things out, but did he think of everything? I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know. So. Well, speaking of Marco, let's go over to the Pella. And, yeah, that's uh, where we'll, all the action is. That's where all the action is. <laughs> Marco tears into Philip for Naomi's managing to warn Holden of their plan to destroy the Rossi and much of Tycho. Uh, Sin steps in and challenges him, proving Naomi's words have have gotten to him and leading Philip to confront his mother. His words reveal to Naomi that Holden is alive, and she again tries to convince him that Marco does not love him how he thinks he does. Drummer is brought onto the Pella for their meeting. He has answers for all of their challenges, even if they're not ideal. Drummer's crew meets to talk it over, and they find that if they refuse his offer, they're in more danger than if they accept. Serge joins the Pella crew as uh, Carl joins the DeWalt, and Marco introduces Drummer to Philip, who is interested in hearing about what happened on the behemoth. He slips up when asked about Naomi, leaving Drummer suspicious as to her whereabouts. Philip goes to see Naomi and ask her to tell him about the behemoth as Marco plots a course for the Chetsmoka to intercept the Rosinante. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Marco is, um, hmm, how do I put this? A crybaby. So he like just goes off the handle for the, for the message, well, the Rossi not blowing up Taiko. Yeah, yeah. Like just, he's very mad about that. He loses his bananas. Uh, literally, I, I wrote down his first quote just because he's so angry. Yeah, so he said, and so instead of a grand symbol of inner belts or unity destroyed, along with half of Taiko, the Rosinante is underway in pursuit of the Zemea. And he's just so. I just like I said earlier. I just love the way he says this. That it's so clear why he's trying. I mean, I think it's also uh, listening to the conversation. I think it's also pretty clear that he is tying a little bit of his personal feelings into destroying the Rasenante. Of course um, he is. Yeah. And I, I'm sure we'll get more of that throughout the season since he's still trying to just dis- it's very clear. He still has plans for the Rasenante um, by the end of the episode. But he. um, Yeah, he he's a piece of work like. He gets all mad. So here's the thing, right? Before I like go into any specifics about this episode, this scene in particular reminded me about of a scene in season two. Now, I don't know if you guys remember this scene, but it was a scene where Holden and Naomi meet with Anderson Dawes. And the entire time Dawes is talking to Naomi, even when he's talking to Holden. Like he barely looks at Holden. His he only has eyes for Naomi because he's very clearly as we as they established in that episode he was trying to manipulate people into coming to his side he tried to manipulate drummer he tried to manipulate Naomi and then he manipulates Diogo Mm -hmm. so 
basically there's this whole like there's something very similar in this scene to where everything Marco says for most of the scene is said directly to Philip. And he's looking at Philip the entire time until Sin physically puts himself in between them, which is something Holden did with um, Naomi and Dawes as well. So I just thought it was really interesting that it's, it's kind of like a very similar scene where we see one character trying to manipulate another and then a character who actually is thinking of the character who's being manipulated is like, no, 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 that's not okay. Yeah. Like, I see what I see what you're doing. And I'm going to stop you right there, son. Um, and so. I watched the scene because, as as we all know, Marco always tries to spin his losses into victories. And I was trying to figure out if he was going to spin this into a victory. And he didn't. And I think that's in part because Sin cuts him off. I think that's another reason why he's so angry is because he doesn't get a chance to take charge of this scene. In fact, when Philip says that he wants to spare Naomi, he even says, like, my son has a kind heart. But the way he says it's like, like it's a bad thing. Oh, it was a backhanded slap. <laughs> he says it like it's, yeah, it's so backhanded. But like. It's it's just so terrifying how he's using this scene to kind of tear into philip and manipulate him like he's he's complaining about naomi he's like we treated her with respect and she betrayed us gave aid to our enemies tried to take my life he says like you will do what i tell you to do like naomi was just trying to save someone she loved and he turns it into like she's giving aid to our enemies like he turns it into a propaganda campaign um, so it's just, it's just really fascinating to watch. It's as fascinating as it is horrifying. And I also just really love when Sin steps up and he's like, you do it yourself. If it has to be done, you can do it. I'm not going to let Philip be a part of this unless you think you can make me. And it's just like very clear that is Naomi kind of hit Sin where he lived when yeah. she told him that she would never forgive him for letting Marco do what he did. And he's starting to see that. He's starting to really see that manipulation yep. happening. And he also implied that he saw it the first time, or at least that he's he's gotten angry at Marco for something like that before. Yeah. And I it's really interesting. And it's almost as interesting as there, I took so many notes on this because there's so much good dialogue. Tell me you have the um, quote that Carl said. Which oh yeah, she says like uh you know, she asks Marco if he really wanted to space Naomi. And he says, well, you know, you know what I feel. And she says, if you want it done next time, ask me. Burn. Yeah. Like she because she doesn't give a single she doesn't give a single iota. Of, of Falota. Yeah, she does not care. But what I really loved, I think, in this first segment was when Philip went to see Naomi. First of all, the fact that Naomi knows uh, Holden's alive because Philip's bad. Mm -hmm. like she's like oh hold it must be okay because all of you are very angry and that's the response i'm used to my boyfriend getting uh pure anger um but, and i just really oh oh no no i was gonna say like before before we continue i just wanted to mention something about sin um hmm. and it's something that you brought up a little bit and you said that like he keeps on going against what marco <laughs> keeps on saying or keeps on instructing philip to do mm -hmm. um like, the first time when they were eating, he said, like, stop playing with her like that. You know what you're doing. 
Um, so Sin sees the manipulation from Marco, and I think that his ability to talk down to um, his ability to talk down to Marco is going to get him in a hot seat, and. and I feel like it's going to get to the point where he, something's going to happen to him or Marco's going to kill him. Um, just because I think that he's being very disruptive to that flow of him being in charge. And since sees through everything that Marco's doing in terms of manipulating um, Philip. Um, so I think that there something's got to give. Hmm. Yeah, Sin's not uh, having as good a time as he was before now that the spirit of vengeance is here. Mm -hmm. um, but we have this scene uh, with Naomi and Philip where she's trying to kind of, after that scene where he very clearly is being nasty to his son, and she, she doesn't know that, um, like he comes down to talk to her and she starts trying to use this moment again to help him understand what his father is. Um, there was, uh, so he gets upset with her because she called, um, Holden her people. Yeah. And he gets very upset about that. And, and I, I said this to some people I was talking to earlier was that like Naomi doesn't, she's not as nationalistic as some of the other characters are. So when she says my people, she means it on a smaller scale. She means her people is in her family, her tribe, her, yeah, her tribe, like her, her actual like chosen tribe. Whereas, uh, Philip sees it as the belt. So he sees her as rejecting her belt, her identity for these inners when really it's just, these are the people she loves. It's not as deep as identity to her. It yeah. is, just people she loves but the the thing i really loved um was uh she says to him he made you a murderer you ended millions of ordinary lives you haven't felt the price of it yet but someday you will and you will realize what he's done to you and he said he made me a fighter he loves me and she said he loves himself you don't know anything about him i know he wouldn't die for you but he would let you die for him. Oh. And it's very clear that Philip sees some ounce of truth in that because he takes a second, mutes her, and leaves. Yeah. Like, is that, he doesn't try to deny it, either because he thinks that she's too far gone or he sees something in that. And I think after the previous scene, I think he's starting to see something in her arguments. Absolutely. Oh, and the fact that he went to talk to her so that he could explain the stuff about the behemoth. Like, he is curious about his mother. Yeah. Like, he wants to know her side, whether he wants to or not. And that is something super important to note because you're starting to see the boy that Naomi wants to potentially save. I think part of that is, I guarantee you, he never heard this story. I guarantee you, because Marco has like such a, a hard on for like killing anything having to do with unity. Yeah. So I guarantee you he never told Philip that his mother saved the system because it's another symbol of like tribal unity. And he's not a fan of that. 
So you can see Philip like really interested when Drummer bring when Phil, uh, Marco and Drummer bring it up. I'm sure Marco mentioned it, but I doubt he ever spoke about it in broad terms. So when you know Drummer is here, this actual hero, and she's like, "Well, your mom helped save the system because I you know, because she went back to her family," and he's like, he, he never heard that kind of that side of it before. He only heard that she was involved, probably. He nev probably never saw the perspective of, wow, she, in going back to her family, that was a huge part of what saved, th saved everyone. And I'm sure he's like, he's, he's a teenager who cares about his mother. I'm sure he's very interested in hearing about that, even if it goes against everything he's ever learned. Because it, it lets him get to know his mother better, and his mother knows a hero, another hero. And... I just I really thought that was interesting that he was like, you know, I want to hear about I want to hear about this now. Yeah. So I just, you know. I, I, I really liked that progression of events. Um, I also like that he basically made drummer feel super sus. She's like, <laughs> yeah. Marco seems sus um, because like, I, I mean, they. They had this whole thing over Philip in season four, so I kind of expected Philip to be brought into this conversation. But the fact that, like, Philip was like, oh, you don't need to tell my mom anything. She's already. No, no, I'm good. Like, I just. <laughs> and then she's just like, that's suspicious. <laughs> that's weird. Like, it's just it, it was it was such a it's a kid. He's a kid. Of course he's going to do that. He doesn't know it's a it's a great game. Like, you know, that's why he keeps, quote unquote, disappointing his father, because he's not going to see these things in an adult way. He's a teenager. And yeah. Of course, he's going to make mistakes. Of course, he's going to make choices based on his feelings. He's a kid. That's what kids do. So it's just, you know, it's really, really interesting how, like, Marco sees him as a soldier before he sees him as his son. And how he expects him to step in line and be perfect, perfect soldier. Whereas Naomi just sees her son. Yeah. Like sees a kid. And, and sees a kid who's been like manipulated. And she sees that distinction um, that Marco does see Philip as a soldier and as expendable when he's not needed anymore or if he needs to be in the front lines. Um, and that's something that I think did hit Philip because I think he's starting to see that. Um, mm -hmm. so I, I really do like it, the slow burn of their relationship. Mm hmm. Yeah. And still in this storyline, but not having to do with Philip, is the incredible scene with Drummer and Marco. <laughs> truly, truly incredible. I really loved their opening back and forth where she's like, no throne. This is a war room for a war you started, a war I won. Is it over? I must have missed the inner's offer of surrender. Like mm -hmm. the banter. No, Kara and Keon are friends. They've known each other for years. And the banter really reflects that. Even mm -hmm. if it's like stabbing banter, like hate banter, it still hits really great. And I also loved uh, they fought and lost and died because they betrayed all belters to the in to do the inner's bidding, which you would not. It's just like. I'm beginning to regret my decision. Yep. <laughs> just so, the dialogue in that scene is just so incredibly good. Like all the dialogue in that scene is really great. 
I love Drummer. I think that she is just... She's being such a badass, and she's trying to control herself, and she's trying not to pull a trigger. Um, it's funny when they're trying to take away their weapons. It's like, what if I don't give it to you? <laughs> yeah. I just I thought it was really amazing. I I also really liked... Um... There's an uh, at the near the end of their conversation, um, you know, when he tells her that if she says no, they can go in peace, uh, but he can't guarantee their protection. And Drummer says, the only reason we need protection is because of you. You have committed the entire belt to war with the inners and made peace impossible. And he responds, I've committed us to a future of our own on our own terms. We were already at war. You just couldn't see it because they were killing us slow. And I mean, that's an incredible line. Mm-hmm. That's a really great line because he's not wrong. The, technically, the belt has been at war with the inners for quite a long time. Um, like a cultural war. Like, uh, what's the kind of war you have when it's just like a bunch of like spread out skirmishes? Like they just, you know, they come to blows every so often, but it never gets big enough to actually warrant a real war. It's and and the inners don't really see them as a credible threat because they don't have warships. Right. That's what Fred was working on. He was trying to get the belt warships so that they can seem like a naval power and have and, and be a threat to the inners. The reason the inners always had cold wars was because they were both pretty much evenly technically challenged, right? They both were on almost the same level. Um, the belt never had that. They were never allowed to have that. I mean, that's part of the issue why Holden and them having a rogue warship was a problem. Because you just can't have people you can't control out here having warships. Like, if you give Belters warships, this is what's going to happen. And Holden's an idiot, but at least he doesn't like shooting people at random. If you give an angry belter a warship and one who feels like they have been treated unjustly for a long time, they will use it. And that's what's happening with Marco here. He has the technology and he is using it. And this is unprecedented for the belters. They've never been put together enough or had the technology to go toe to toe with either of the inner powers. Yeah. And now they do. And he's consolidating that power. And he's not wrong. Like, again, Marco is not wrong. Most of our issues with Marco come from personal levels. Exactly. Like, he's not wrong at all. Is he a terrible person? Eh, Probably. Is he an abuser and a gaslighter? Oh, absolutely. But is he wrong? No, <laughs> no, he's not wrong. So and, it's it's just fascinating to see. And, and I that's again, I, I think I've said this like 50 times already. I think um, somebody should start keeping track. But that's one of the reasons why I love the show is like even the people that we consider bad, you can't even call bad guys because their their call to action to them and other people is the right one for their people. Mhm. Yeah. It's basically just a lot. And it's it's years of injustice and resentment kind of boiling to a head here. And unfortunately, Marco's the one in charge of it. Yeah. That's that's basically what it is. Like it's a movement that I understand 
But God, I wish someone else were in charge of it. That's pretty that. much that's pretty much how I'm feeling. Um Yeah, and he and then him introducing Philip as like a a bit of a like a poke at drummer because he knows drummer oh man what about that the way he said the way he introduced drummer to, to philip she's a a good friend, yeah. friend of your mother's <laughs> what does that mean marco what what is that deli- what are you trying to say marco i just get the feeling everyone knows this girl is hung up on another girl it's it's kind of <laughs> awkward in my opinion that the whole system is kind of aware <laughs> or at least that at least that Marco is aware and he's like, this would be a great opportunity to remind not only her girlfriend, but her that I know she's hung up on that other girl <laughs> that I got locked in the basement who's in love with this idiot from Earth. Like it just seems like it's just a lot of lot of drama I did not expect. But um something else I thought he did that was interesting was when they brought up the issue of food, which will quickly become an issue because Earth is still the breadbasket of the system. Yes, Ganymede is the breadbasket of the belt, but Earth still has more land mass. It has natural sun and water and air. So it is the best place to grow food. It's the best place to get the the um, what's the word I'm looking for? The supplies to make food in other parts of the system and beyond the ring gates. You have a problem when you throw that food supply into chaos right and so joseph brings that up to him it you know what, what the about the food <laughs> what it was the bread basket it will yes <laughs> um so joseph brings that up to him because you know these are people who care about belters not you know like belter as a concept they care about individual belters and they have a family of their own they're not a warship they're a family yeah and so they ask about the food and he immediately has an answer. He's like, oh, here's a study from the guy who, you know, the guy who created a little thing I like to call Ganymede. Like, shut, first of all, Marco, shut up. <laughs> I, I hate that kind of, well, actually, attitude. Um, but, yeah, he's like, oh, remember, you know, this, like, his studies show. Is there a chicken? <laughs> <laughs> that was Kira yawning. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm keeping that in. Um, so he says, like, you know, according to this study, we could have as much food production, if not more, within a decade, but it's going to be like hard at first. And I had a couple issues with this. First of all, yeah, it's going to be hard at first. It's not the answer they're necessarily asking for because belters are going to starve like right now. Yeah. But that's going to be an issue very quickly. And he's just like, well, you know. I mean, we saw him throwing out food in the previous episode like it was no big deal. And now we're talking about how food's going to be an issue. Marco, you have a messaging problem. (laughs) Second, second, second. How many people do we know cherry pick studies to, to suit their needs, right? To suit their perspective. Anybody can find a study to suit a bad perspective or a perspective that suits their current need. How do we know that perspective? Just because that man invented Ganymede, we don't know. Ganymede was like half destroyed two seasons ago. Yeah. So how do we know that Ganymede can sustain the system better than earth at this point in time? We don't. You, he picks a probably we don't, we don't know if it's an outdated study, but it very well could be an outdated study. Like, he has a study ready to go. Like, he did his research. But people do that all the time. I mean, 
people can cherry pick articles about certain things like election fraud and things and say, well, look, look at all this election fraud. But then you look at like reality or unbiased sources and that doesn't exist or not unbiased. No, no source is unbiased, but less biased sources or the people who actually do that job and tell you what they found. And you're like, but this study says, well, unfortunately, not all studies can be trusted. And especially medical studies, initial findings don't mean anything if it's not a big finding. Yeah. So it's, to me, it just feels a little disingenuous. He's just like, well, I already have an answer for that. It's kind of like the whole entire idea that anybody can be a doctor through Google. Yes. <laughs> he loves WebMD. Yes. Oh, my gosh. You're on to something. <laughs> but yeah, like he, he already has an answer for them. And like I said, his his answers, because Drummer doesn't trust him. And I think a lot of them understand that. His answers aren't what bring them around. It's the it's the fear factor. It's the yeah. idea that they will be killed if they don't go with him. So he's not winning anybody over with his awesome facts, with his great quips. He's winning them over with fear. And whether fear makes a great leader is still up to debate. But we'll have to see how that works out for him, that argument. Well, I mean, he has a lot of balls to throw um, rocks on Earth. So if he has the balls to go that low, he can do anything. Yeah. It's, man. And, like, uh, before I, we talk about that, that very last shot, because I have a funny thing to say about that last shot of Marco, do you have anything else we want to say about the, the Pella storyline? I'm excited to see what's going to happen with Naomi and, and Philip. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you're starting to see his, his big bravado and armor start to crack. And you see him going to Naomi and mm-hmm. he's curious and he wants yeah. his mom there. I mean, literally, he has his uh, jumpsuit half down when he goes, excuse me, when he goes to see her, like an armor coming off. Yeah. Like, he's a little more vulnerable. He brings her a drink, mm-hmm. sits down with her. Like, he's definitely got some walls coming down. Yeah. For various reasons. All right. So what is this last? So thing? the first time I watched this, uh, I didn't have the best quality, so I couldn't tell what Marco was doing. And so I'm glad that I got to rewatch this because he pulls that ship up and that ship is the Chet Zamoka. Mm-hmm. And he's looking at, it's really hard to read ship names sometimes, depending on the size of the screen you're watching, if your quality and connection are good. So it took me a second to realize what he was looking at. And I thought he was looking at the Rossi and the Zemea, but I didn't realize he was also like putting the Chet Zamoka in there. So we start his arc off with him being angry that he's failed, that Tycho is, is not destroyed, that Holden is still alive, the symbol of inner belter unity that he hates so much. And we end with him beginning to formulate a new plan. He's going, he wants to do something with Naomi's ship that she gave to Philip. And he wants, he wants to do something with it that involves intercepting the Rasinante. And so he, he might not have failed yet. 
That slimy little snake. I also loved that, <laughs> speaking, I forgot to mention this, speaking of the inner belter unity, I love that when he muted the video was right at the moment Naomi was saying, it wasn't just me, it was a bunch of us working together. And he was like, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to hear this unity nonsense. I hate unity. Like I just, I just, just, he's so obvious. Like, it's obvious he's jealous of what of what we can't talk about yet uh but he seems jealous he seems hmm, upset he seems triggered by unity he doesn't like talking about unity and he doesn't like he wants to know what naomi is saying to philip clearly but he feels like his time could be better spent planning his next move or trying to think of another way to get what he wants than listening to these ugly, nasty, vomit-inducing inducing stories about peace, love, and brotherhood. He's not going to rest until his mission is accomplished, and that is mm -hmm. to destroy the Rock of Dante. How? We still don't know. Tune mm -hmm. in to find out. He won't let his son ruin his ultimate plan of destroying the Rocinante. Anything else? I don't think so. Fred's I, been very quiet for a minute. No, you guys have had some really great insight, and I really appreciate what you've been talking about, so I've let you just ramble on. Andrea's <laughs> shaking her head, listeners. I don't know what that means, but I feel that energy. Same. There's a hockey game going on in the background. Oh, that's right. They're watching <laughs> hockey. I'm just here uh, drinking water. Maybe it should be wine. All right. So, <laughs> if this is everything and we don't have any more comments, Shannon, please don't die. <laughs> Sorry, water went down the wrong way. <laughs> you. I'm good. If actually, if you want to save Shannon from choking on water, <laughs> you should. Follow us on Twitter. <laughs> I don't know how that's going to help, but thanks. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter at the Tight Beam. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Cat's Bears. It's K-A-T-Z-B-E-A-R-Z. -E Fred, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Freddy One Kenobi. That's F-R-E-D-D-Y-W-O-N Kenobi. And you can also send Shannon your wishes on water choking at... You can find me almost anywhere at ShankBeezy. You can also find um, our show and different shows at randomchatter.com. We don't just talk about the type beam and the, sorry, not the type beam, the expanse um, on the type beam. We also have um, different shows um, that deal with Marvel, um, DC, and different types of Netflix shows or other shows and different platforms. Um, if you have anything that you'd like to tell us about this episode that we missed um, or things that you agree or disagree um, on when it comes to this um, episode, you can also email us at typebeam at randomchatter.com. You know what else you could do that would make me pretty happy? Mm -hmm. You could spread the word. 
Uh, we'd love for you to drop us some ratings or leave reviews on your podcast platform of choice. Uh, we really do want to hear how we're doing. Uh, we would like to, you know, know that when people search our show on iTunes or Spotify or whatever, that they can see what other people think of the show um, and, and see that, you know, we're at least doing an all right job. Um, so, you know, if you ever have the time, if you have a second, please drop us a couple stars, leave us a review. We'd really appreciate it. You can also share us on social media. As you heard early in the episode, uh, if you interact with our Twitter account, if you send us an opinion about the show, we'll happily share it here, uh, during our listener shout out portion. Uh, you can also like help us out by retweeting our new episodes or any like questions or polls we might put out to the listeners on Twitter. Um, it helps gets us to more ears. It helps gets us more listeners. We also just would appreciate word of mouth. If you have friends who like the expanse, we would love it if you would tell them a little bit about our show or what you like about it. Uh, it, it just, like I said, helps us get more listeners, helps us get to more ears, gives us more people to kind of poll about like what we're doing well, what we're not doing well. It, it helps us improve the show as much as it gets more people to listen to the show. So if you could just tell your friends about us or share us on social media or leave us some reviews, we'd really appreciate it. If you really like what you hear on this episode and you want to interact with us uh, more directly, feel free to run, jump on over to randomchatter.com slash discord. Uh, we do have a discord chat server there. Everyone can come in. It's free, completely free. And there's a main channel and then there's a, a breakdown show for each one of the, the shows on the Random Chatter Network. You can come to the Type Beam channel and hang out with us anytime you want. Uh, if you do want to become a member of the Random Chatter Network, you can go to randomchatter.com slash Patreon, and one of the big perks there is you get the full um, Discord server opened up to you for as little as a dollar a month. And all the proceeds come help support the network, which is great. Um, if Patreon and Discord isn't your thing and you still want to support us, head on over to randomchatter.com slash store, and that'll redirect you to our Public store, and there's lots of great merchandise to pick up. Uh... Last but not least, but all the music that you hear in this episode is Ursa Minor by Cell Dweller, and as silly as the sentence sounds, all trademarks are owned by the respective owners. <laughs>